Hello and welcome to another episode of Casting Views, the general topic podcast that takes a topic and as the title says, Cast Views. This week, my guest with me is, how shall I describe him? He's a master of movies. He's a rambunctious reviewer. He is Justin of The Movie Wire. Hello, Justin. Dan, hello, rambunctious movie reviewer. I should have used that in my intro. I love that. If you can get into your next episode. That, that one's going to be the new word. So, I, you know what? You just suggest a new word and I'll sneak it in and let's see if you can find it. There we go. Let's do rambunctious. One that in your rambunctious. Next you got it. Cheers for coming on. How's your week been so far? A uh, week's been good. I have the whole week off. I got uh, Brooklyn, as you know, her birthday's coming up. So that's been a very uh, interesting week of planning where she's too grown up for birthday parties. And uh, she just kind of wants to have like a grown up kind of little intimate dinner. So which I'm kind of disappointed because I had this whole thing planned out where we have a Dave and Buster's over here, which is like an arcade restaurant bar. And it just opened up and I really wanted to go too. And I thought it would have been perfect, but apparently it's a uh, too kitty for her and uh, not too kitty for me, I guess. I was going to say she's too old for parties, but not too old for gifts, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Her <laughs> list is a novel at this point. <laughs> so, but my week's been good. Well, if you said you're off, right? So yeah, you, you can't get better than that, right? Oh no. It's sunny in Seattle, so you can't really beat that today. The weather's been great this week. Oh, don't talk to me about weather. We've had really mixed the last couple of days. So it's 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 been sunny, but it's been interspersed with like real heavy showers. Oh, wow. And you said it was cold today, right? Yeah. Well, I always feel the cold anyway. But yesterday I drove to work. And so it, what hasn't helped is we had our clock change on Sunday, sort of Saturday mm. night, Sunday morning. So we're still yeah. kind of reading from that. And yesterday morning, I drove into work and it was um, two degrees. I can't convert that in my head at the moment, but it was cold. And coming <laughs> back, it was about 15, 16. So it was, yeah, no, it was it was just totally different. I don't mind it if it's cold all day. I don't mind if it's warm all day. I don't like it when I've got to bring a coat out in the morning and then I'm taking the layers off and carrying them on the way home. You see, I'm the odd duck. I hate the sun. I like it cold. I like it rainy. The my biggest pet peeve is the springtime sun. I I'll like it really really hot or I'll like it really really cold. I don't like the in between. Yeah, you see, I like being at home and it's chucking it down with rain outside. I I like that. Don't like being out in it, but I like being at home. So yeah, now I'm with you on that. I'd rather be on the cooler side than on the hotter side. I think so. Uh, I'm with you. Winter is my favorite. Gives me an excuse yeah. to stay in the house. Well, in Seattle again. Here we go. Completely. This isn't the topic we had, uh, that I had you on for. <laughs> But so the impression we get from Seattle on TV is that it is raining all the time. Yeah. And, you know, we do have a lot of rain, um, but we also get all four seasons, too. But when it rains, it rains like it'll downpour. Um, like even what was it last week? We had a like it was sunny all morning and then just random 15 minutes later, it's just downpouring. Um, it's something that we've just become accustomed to just, you know, if it's sunny, just expect at some point it's going to rain. Yeah. Well, that feels like what it's been here these last few days, but didn't get you on to talk about the weather. And I actually, do you know what, before we get into it, let's hear from a friend of both of ours, actually, Antonio over at the Cultworthy. The Cultworthy podcast. Join me, Antonio Palacios, each week as I guide you through a never ending sea of obscure cinema and Cultworthy gems that deserve a rediscovery. Find me on all listening platforms and at thecultworthy.com. The Cultworthy Podcast. Join us. 
We are back. So, Justin, there are a number, or there have been a number of episodes that when I've been researching, there's been so much material that I've always said to myself, going to come back and do a part two at some point. So you are the first, really, of the, actually, I'm going to call it legacy sequel, in the sense of we did this episode. And actually, having a look at it, at time of recording, we actually released it pretty much a year to the day, almost, of when we we covered it the first time around. So... It's unusual sports and competitions, so the bizarre, the wonderful sports and and comps that are out there. So, do you know what? As you're the guest, I'm going to hand over to you, so hit me with your first one. Oh, okay. So this one, I think we've all have seen the videos of this one, where it's trending up on slapping competitions. If you were to go to somebody and talk about a slapping competition, it would sound ridiculous, but when you watch the video, it looks more painful than an actual boxing match. So we take this slapping competition. The whole premise is you take two guys, and I don't even think there's rules or regulations on the size of these guys. And all they do is just stand across from each other and slap the crap out of each other. And the rules is either somebody gives up or somebody gets knocked out. And I can't imagine getting knocked out from just a basic slap. So... But this one, we're going to deep dive into this one. But Dan, you've seen this, yes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's horrific. So what would you rather do? Would you be in a boxing match, a fight, or just a slapping competition? I'd like to be neither. (laughs) I think the boxing match, because at least the opponent then has got gloves on. And also, you know, we're saying slap, but I mean, you'll probably go into it. But this is like a full arm, full straight arm, proper... It's almost like a punch, isn't it? But just unarmed. Well, when you hear the actual impact, you feel it. You have to close your eyes. So it's, and what do they call them? They call them slap fighters. That's the official title is slap fighters. And can you imagine, you remember when we were kind of younger, a slap was more of an insult. You got made fun of for a slap. It's not, it wasn't considered a full fight. Now, if you go into a bar and say, you meet a nice girl and you say, you know what, what do you do as a profession? I'm a slap fighter. I mean, pretty much you're going to go home and be training that hand by yourself at that point. So it's a completely ridiculous sport. And there's a lot of controversy around this too, where now a lot of uh, news networks are coming out saying this is literally an organized brain damage event. So now they're starting to do a lot of regulations on it. And there is actually underground slap fights now. It's an underground fight club that they're trying to regulate. So, and you'll see these videos of like this huge guy and then this little guy. And those are the most, to me, most humorous because in boxing matches, you have the little guy that you can really go for speed. You can kind of see how that might work, but these guys are just sitting right across from me or standing right across from each other. And you know what the outcome's going to be. And you have this 500 pound guy that just lays into him. It is one of the most, to me, the craziest thing, but the most train wreck of a video you can watch that you just cannot look away from. That one is probably my number one, just craziest event or competition right now that you can find online. And I've seen a few of them. Uh, Thankfully, they haven't come off my timeline recently, but I have seen also, like I said, there are the women events as well, aren't there? The thing for me that I couldn't do it the, or the reason, one of the reasons why I couldn't do it, other than not wanting to have any physical harm before <laughs> me. Yeah, you see, they are standing close to each other at arm's length. So imagine, like, yeah, it's like a boxing, the um, the pre-fight 
uh, what do they call it, weigh-in where they're all in each other's faces. So they're about that close. Full arm, straight arm out. And obviously nobody can see me doing, but Justin can see me sort of like <laughs> uh, demonstrate this. And they're like lining it up, aren't they? So they're moving the hand up to the person, the opponent's cheek, and they're doing it two or three times. And just that sense of anticipation, feeling that hand come near the cheek two or three times before the actual sap comes in, that anticipation alone would, would have me out. Well, and I did some research last night because I, I wanted to learn to be a professional slapper. So <laughs> there, are, there are videos. That's got, that's got different connotations over it. You know yeah, that, right? I'll let listeners make up the mind on which, which videos I watched last night. <laughs> but there's actually training videos on how to slap an opponent. So after about an hour of watching these slap videos, and again, you can make up your own mind on what videos, but I can feel I'm a professional slapper at this point. Dan, how, how would you train to be a professional slapper? Again, you, you're more of a lover, not a fighter, but. Definitely. I know. I think it would be, I, I could imagine it actually just like Rocky. I think you could still have, you know, the, the hunk of meat hanging up. Now this, this conversation is going all sorts of wrong, isn't it? But that, the hunk of meat and slapping the meat. You can slap the meat. Yeah. I'm going to have to make this an explicit episode. I've been trying not to. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't see why you I don't see why you couldn't do the same as uh, Rocky Balboa did. Yeah. I think that is the most frightening, but funniest visual that I'm going to like picture all day <laughs> is just Dan slapping the Rocky meat. Oh my God. <laughs> no, you just made it sound wrong. And so you've got to have the montage music in the background as well. You've got to have the the correct reason well how, how would you train then how would you train well based on my research last night so apparently it's all in the flexibility of the forearm right you gain that momentum and you have a slight cup in your palm that you just want to kind of just you can't see it but um but you get a slight cup that way you can really hear the echo of that hit and the guy that was demoing this and again i think it's kind of a cheap shot the video i watched he picked his demonstrator as he looked like a 18 year old boy that was four foot 11 and this guy's like 400 pounds. So I don't know how I would train. I like the rack of meat better than picking a, a kid as the person that you're going to slap during your training. But apparently it's all in flexibility. I, I would disagree to the point that you have those, uh, uh, competitors, they're never really the same size, the same, same yeah. weight. If yeah. that theory was true we would see the little guy win a little bit of the time but they never win it becomes very predictable and that's the thing yeah i've, I've very rarely seen in the videos too i think in the women's one i've seen them a bit more evenly matched but yeah in the guys one you're not actually joking when you say there's could be one who looks like a kid against like a, a huge giant and and you're thinking how is that fair because at least in boxing you've got the weight class and there's that element of evenness right Right. The other thing that always gets me is who gets to decide who goes first? Because I'd be wanting to go first, right? You would think it would default to the one that's smaller because he's going to have <laughs> yeah. to have more hits than the bigger guy. And yeah. I don't know. I think there's, sh- I agree with that. There should be some regulations just made for, just for that fact, because it's going to come to a point where, you know what? You're not watching it for the competition. You're just watching it to see the little guy get the crap kicked out of him and last maybe two rounds before he gives up. So I think regulations on just weight, size, I think that's a, I think that's necessary when it comes down to it because you're not going to have the big guy suffering all these uh, brain damage. You're going to have these little kids that are going to be walking around with uh, uh, concussions. 
And the other thing I was going to say for me is I'd want to go first. I'd get the first slap in and then say that I've retired. <laughs> not pull out the match. <laughs> get that first slap in. If it, if it has, it's hardly <laughs> registered an impact. Yeah, I'll quit. I'll resign. You see, I'm the same way, but the only difference is I'd volunteer to go first just to see what my opponent looks like. Then I'm running the other way. There's no way I'm going up against anybody that's going to slap me because I know the guy, the guy will always be bigger than me. There's not many that are going to be smaller than me. It's, it's true what you say, though, in the sense that this is a brutal sport. And if you just see it, the, the contact, I mean, I, I've, like I said, fair enough, boxing, there is full on body blows and punches to the head. But as much as I don't know how much it does, but at least, as I said, at least they are, you know, wearing gloves. At least they are in there knowing that a punch is coming in and they can protect themselves during it. This, you can't protect yourself, right? You are just, you, you're just standing there waiting for it to, to land on your face, right? Well, yeah, you can see the expressions too. This one, I think we need to move off this one soon because this is just full of... Uh... <laughs> Look what you've done in the first t- t- 10 minutes of this podcast. Look. We slapped the crap out of this one. <laughs> yeah. I don't know too much more about that, though, other, like I said, other than seeing it on, on TikTok. So is it like a prop... Or it was a, like a properly sanctioned event or was it just kind of, you know, um, exhibitions and... So it originated in uh, Russia. Is I think it started as kind of an underground, just fun little uh, competition. But then it just started to skyrocket. And I think social media had a huge push in that, that they started getting recordings. They started uh, hitting online. And then it turned into this big, now there's a championship of slapping. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those things that uh, the online social media world just made it a huge thing and it's one of those things that it's almost impossible not to watch and that's where it's kind of really gained that momentum and popularity why would you do it is it purely a look how tough i am is it do you think it is a a a machismo a machismo thing i think it's just a popularity thing because again we go back to the point when we were uh, younger and even to an extent now being slapped was more of an insult um to the slapper than it was to the slappy and there's no way I, if I was in a slapping competition, there's no way I would be bragging about that. Say, if I was in a boxing match or a fight, I probably still wouldn't brag about it, but at least I ha- that's kind of a cool factor to it. If I go up to somebody say, saying, hey, I just, I was in a slapping competition. Nobody's going <laughs> to take me seriously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and the fact that it's got underground now, I mean, if you were getting some fame or notoriety on TV for it, I get it. I mean, that almost goes into the fetish piece of it, but you know what? I would love to see a slap version of Fight Club 2. Well, yeah. Well, I was also going to say, do you remember like the kind of like all those old films, like was it Kickboxer and things like that? Oh, Can yeah. You imagine? Yeah. The cars, to, you know, you're in the underground or in the parking lot, the car lights come on and in the middle, you haven't got two <laughs> boxes or kickboxers. You've got two people standing at arm's length waiting to slap each other to submission. So. You know that's going to be a Will Ferrell parody coming up. That you I heard would it watch. here first. Yeah, you heard it here first. Do you have anything else on on that one? No, I nope. I think we're uh, we're good on the slapping, Dan. Okay, so yes or no? Would you at least try, would you want to at least attempt it? You know what? Yeah, it's an event. Even though I'm talking against it, you know what? I'd throw myself in the ring. Okay, that's one nil to you because I definitely wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) On to my first one. And it's funny you mentioned boxing because I am going to do, and and I've seen this quite a number of times, but I'm going to talk about chess boxing. Nice. Have you seen this? 
I've heard of it, but I didn't deep dive. But the title seems kind of self-explanatory. I just don't know how it would work. It is pretty much as just like casting views. It does what it says. It is chess and boxing. So you've got two combatants. They play alternate alternating rounds of speed chess and boxing until one wins by checkmate or knockout. You can also win by a time penalty as in normal chess and by points in boxing if there is a draw in a chess round. So typically the events are held in a standard boxing ring using an amateur boxing equipment. The chess round is also played in a ring with the table board and seat being moved in and out of the ring for each round. It was invented by a French comic book artist and adopted by a Dutch performing artist and has since grown into a competitive sport. And apparently it's particularly popular in the United Kingdom, India, Finland and Russia. An early version was, was said to have started in London in the 70s, where two brothers were in the habit of playing a round of chess against one another after a training session at the boxing club. So it's got a bit of a checkered history. Um, and the concept of chess boxing, here we go, linking it to movies, was first coined in the 1979 Kung Fu film Mystery of Chess Boxing. So, Antonio, if you're listening, that sounds like it could be one for you, I think, if you haven't done it already. But there are also rules and specific requirements for it. So it consists of 11 alternating rounds of chess and boxing, starting and ending with chess. Each boxing round lasts three minutes, followed by a one-minute break. The chess rounds are played under time control with a total of nine minutes allotted to each player. And as I said, victory by knockout or technical knockout in boxing, victory by checkmate in chess, or loss to exceeding the chess game's time control or if you resign in any of them. So just a couple of other things I've got before I sort of throw it open. If the chess game ends in a draw before the final round, one more boxing round is held. And if this round also ends without a clear victory, the fighter who's ahead on boxing points win the overall bout. The interesting thing is, in either case, if the bout ends with both fighters tied on points, the one playing the black chess piece wins due to not having the first move advantage in chess. Although this technically hasn't occurred as of last year. So it kind of goes back to what I was saying with the slap slapping event that the person who goes first gets the advantage. And, and technically um, here, the person who doesn't go first gets the advantage which is, is fair enough to me what do you think about that because it's interesting because you've got two totally different disciplines haven't you you've got the mental and the, the physical the concept when you put it in that last statement it makes sense but as you're describing it leave it to chess and chess players to take something as simplistic as boxing and make it complicated and filled with rules and regulations i just figured hey Make a move, get up and box. Whoever wins that gets a point. Keep it that simplistic. Why Why are there so many rules to this? Does it go into detail on why we have so many rules on some a simplistic concept of just, hey, play a complicated sport, then let's dumb it down to beating the shit out of each other? I guess you've got to also throw in, if you've got 11 rounds of boxing, the mental state must also deteriorate because the physicality and oh. you know taking a few punches so i think they just it to me it feels like an attempt at really seeing how you can balance the two games because that's the thing you can't just be a great physical athlete and and be a great boxer because you still got to try win the chess match as well so i think yeah to me it just feels like there's an element of that for example you have to be it says here you must 
obviously has strong skills in both of the um, the events. The current minimum requirements to fight in a chess boxing global event includes an ELO rating of 1,600, which I assume is good. But you must also have a record of at least 50 amateur bouts for in boxing or another martial arts. So they are really wow. trying to get... I think that's why, to answer your question in a long, long way, I think they want the mastery of both events. They wanted to make it the in-depth chess and yeah, the physicality of the boxing, which I find fascinating. When you put it that way, yeah, it is a fascinating concept to it. Um, now, is there a championship? Is it televised or is it still? There is a championship. And even locally, I see they do too. And I'm laughing because they've got some funny names for it. But there was one just recently, actually. I think it was a couple of weeks ago in London. They've got the St. Patrick's Day Bash where they do an event, you know, that you can see. If you're in London in October, so the 7th of October, apparently there's an event called Oktoberfest. So, <laughs> like I said, I think there are sort of sanctioned matches and there is a championship. Yeah, so it is a proper, from what I see, a proper regulated. Reg I love regulated how they event. take two things that I'm absolutely horrible at and they combine it into one to make it the, like, uber sport of something that I would completely fail at. I know, I was going to say, for once, I probably, this is an event where I'll probably do better at the boxing. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably have more chance in the boxing side of things. God, I'd move a pawn one spot, go up to box, and I'd be knocked out that round. It'll be the shortest chess match ever. Do you play chess? Or have you played chess? I do. I'm awful. <laughs> I am absolutely awful at chess. Uh, me and Brooklyn played. Uh, she took uh, chess lessons. And within the first uh, three months, uh, when she was, I think, five or six years old, she was dominating. So she was unstoppable. So I'm absolutely horrible. I always say, I know I can play it, as in I know how to move the pieces and I know what the end goal is, but tactics and seeing 10 yeah. moves ahead, it's not for me. It's not for yeah, me. Yeah, I play solely based on luck of moving pieces around the board. That's it. <laughs> yeah, and hoping the opponent doesn't realize I've moved that piece in an illegal move. Yeah. Like I said, I think the, for me, the key thing here is, as it says here, it's, it's, it's about mastering both sports, but above all, to withstand the constant switching from full contact to a thinking game. And and like I said, round after round, you're getting more agitated, you're getting the wear and tear, you're getting hotter, you're sweating, and then you sit down and have to think about the chess move. It's a cool concept. Yeah, I'm actually quite interested in, in maybe watching an event. I want to see an underground version of this. I want to see no rules or regulations on this. That's an underground about, that would make sense to me. You're all about the underground, aren't you? Look at this. <laughs> Fight Club 3. Okay, yeah, <laughs> after the slap one. So are you fancying having a go at this? Since I will completely 100% lose at this, but you know what? No, because I'm against being mentally humiliated and physically humiliated. <laughs> so I will give this one a pass. I think after saying no to your one, I think I'd have to do this just to save a bit of face. Like I said, I just have to hope that... No, I'm, no, there's no hoping. I'm going to get pummeled and I'm going to lose the chess. But I'd still give it a go. I'd still give it a go. There are just a couple of other mainstream things about this. So there is a film. Apparently there was a documentary called By Rook or Left Hook. Story of Chess Boxing was made in 2021. And that was actually a film. It was produced and directed and executive produced by the guy who did The King of Kong, the gaming oh. one. So... Yeah, I want to check that out. So that, that's yeah. the thing I love about doing these things is finding out these um, 
these little films. So yeah, I present to you, Justin, chess boxing, doing what it says on the tin. I will be researching that after this episode. Absolutely. I remember October 5th, 23, 7th of October. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared to type that into my Google search. <laughs> okay, let's hear your next one. All right. So I, I want to get a little naughty here, Dan. So or even I, even more. Even, even more, more than <laughs> slapping the meat. So I figure we might as well at this point. So <laughs> I present to you the Bubble Baba Challenge. Have you heard of this? I've not even got a clue. No. Oh, this should be fun then. So created in 2003, where the whole premise is contestants race in water, usually down a river using nothing but sex dolls. <laughs> so, and this event is usually is huge. Uh, yeah. But it's about eight, <laughs> it's a, around 800 people that do this. And this event has been blowing up across uh, the world. You like that? That's two. I like that. Oh, my word. So now, what are your first thoughts on this one, Dan? Um, odd. <laughs> so, well, well, sorry, sorry. My first thought is that I've just got images of these these people on these dolls going down rivers. It's just a bizarre. Yeah, tell me more. Tell me more. All right. So now there are rules to this, believe it or not. So you have to be at least sixteen years old, and I'll get into that in a second. And you have to take an alcohol test before you go. So there's a couple problems with these two rules here. So one, who the hell's going to do this sober? And two, yeah. and I get the safety piece of it, sure. 16 seems a little young for me when it's like, is it a family event where you're going to little Timmy at 16 saying, get Samantha out of the closet, we're going river rafting. There's a lot to this topic that I don't, I think there could be better rules to this. Um, but I did my research last night, so... I got a surprise for you, Dan. You ready uh -oh. for this? Go so for it. I actually have somebody here that participated in this event. Really? I do. Hang on. One second. Hang on. <laughs> All right. So, Dan, this is Samantha. Okay. So, she's a little nervous. So, give her a little bit of time. Shit. Okay. Bye, Hang Samantha. Okay, so she's a little camera shy, so Samantha will not be a guest on this episode for again. Oh, no. I apologize. I set up for failure. <laughs> Just as well we're not, not recording the video here, Justin. Oh, I totally forgot. Man, Dan, this one, how do you think you would train, get mentally set for an event like this? I don't even want to suggest how you might train for this. <laughs> I, I, I don't even... Surely the only way you could train is by doing... This is by doing, is by doing. So you'd have <laughs> maybe in a swimming pool, but there's got to be some um, decency laws, right? You can't, there's got to be maybe specific hours that they allow the, uh, the what did you call it? Bubba, bubba, bubba. Uh, bubble, bubba. Bubble, bubba challenge. There must be certain hours because, yeah, you can't have families around. And, and you just imagine all these people marching into the local swimming pool with all these dogs. I mean, surely they, <laughs> Mind you, if they're deflated. Anyway, I'm thinking too much about this. You do it. You do it in your bathtub. There you go. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I think the actual doll has more training to go through than the actual contestant. Yeah. I think. I mean, I, I don't want to know what a poor doll has to go through. All I'm trying to do is give listeners visuals here, Dan. That's my job. 
Okay. <laughs> Nothing else. But uh, yeah. Oh, so, but imagine 800 people going down. <laughs> How much money? It's like the Black Friday or Boxing Day of a sex shop for this event. Uh, so I'm just thinking I'm gonna have to do so much editing of laughter out of this and definitely put the explicit <laughs> flag on sorry carry on. Uh, no but okay so but this one's the first one that there is no underground he just had the random guy at the beach probably trying to like train as you uh pointed out but this one was one of the most bizarre ones in picking a topic that I came up with and it's one of those that I pass by that I could not just sneak that one in without your knowledge so yeah thank you for i was gonna say getting that in there what country is this predominantly in and and not that it matters but i'll tell you why i'm coming back to this so you said about the 16 i'm just wondering yes that does sound young for this but i'm wondering is it because of the country it originated in and maybe it's a bit more open if you know what i mean yeah and you're 100 percent right so this one again comes from russia uh, so they have the slapping competitions and the sex doll races. So brilliant. Chess boxing as well. Yeah. <laughs> wow. God, they have all the cool sports apparently. But yeah, so it is probably based on the country, right? Because here, if you go into water with a sex doll, you're getting arrested hands down, no matter if it's 800 people or like just you. So in the UK, would you, would that be allowed? I, wanna, I was going to say no, but, you know, the thing is, well, it used to be the case in if people go out on the town, the group of lads going out or whatever, or, or even women, you're going out on, on hen nights and stuff, there'd be the old inflatable dolls come along. So I guess what I'm saying is it, it wouldn't be unusual to see a sex doll floating around on a, on a Friday night or Saturday night in the town, but not somebody, how do you put this delicately, riding it on a river? <laughs> for example i remember years ago um i went to a concert uh, an outdoor you know huge huge concert and people were getting bored waiting for oasis to come on and there were a couple of inflatable dolls being sort of sort of thrown around the fans you know you, the, these sex dolls were crowd surfing basically i think you'd probably have a hard time trying to say to the officer who, who stopped you that you're training for an, a sporting event now is this like a sanctioned event or is this just a group of people that do it for a bit of fun? I'm going to guess the latter, probably. Now I have an excuse when I bring out my inflatable at the bar <laughs> on why I'm doing it. It's just training, officer. Just leave me yeah. alone. <laughs> the Bubble Bubba Championship. Yeah, the look Bubble it up. Bubba Challenge. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. So, now, Dan, I cannot wait to hear if you would do this one or not. I am going to say no, because I'm going to say I'm not a strong swimmer. There we go. <laughs> that, that, that's the reason. That's... How about you? How about you? Uh, yeah, I'll whip out my trench coat, my hoodie, my sunglasses, and Samantha whenever she comes back. And yeah, I'll give it a shot. Why not? I mean, I, I have 800 people to hide behind, and I'll be disguised in a trench coat, sunglasses, and hoodie. So I'll be completely fine. I was going to say, am I going to have to look at that deflated face in the corner of the room for the rest of this podcast? Am I? <laughs> we'll take a break and I'll put some duct tape on it. It'll be good. As Samantha will be good as new and back. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? We couldn't have worked this out better because my next one, it feels like we've kind of matched the energy of our events. So, you know, you start with this, the slapping one. I did boxing. You've done this. I'll, I'll, I'll go on to mine shortly. So you said you would do this. 
this feels like one of those ones, yeah, where a group of guys have just got a bit too too merry at the pub, haven't they? They, well, where's this even come from? Why do you think that? Why do you think going down a river on a sex day? Where does that even come from? What? I'm confused, Justin. This is my, I can only theorize here. I think it was at a pub. There was a sex shop next door and it was a waterfront <laughs> pub. You had a couple too many pints and you just, but it's two plus two. You go to the sex shop after the pub, you find this inflatable doll, you see the water. One guy's in there. The other one comes out of the pub to grab a smoke or whatever, saying that's a great idea. And then it's just the domino effect. And then it becomes a championship or a big event. Now you have 800 people that have an excuse to either buy a sex doll or take it out of the closet and go water rafting. That's it. If you're listening, that's the excuse you need. If you're ever caught with one. <laughs> like, like I said. As you were saying that, the image I've got, have you, have, you, have you ever watched Friends? Have you watched Friends? Were you a fan of Friends? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Have you ever watched Friends? It's like, who hasn't at this point, <laughs> I guess. You know that scene where Joey works out that Chandler and Monica were seeing each other. He's sitting down and he's pointing to each one and there's that look of shock on his face. I've got the image of somebody, yeah, as you were saying, walking down the street and there's a pub, there's a sex shop and there's a river next to it. And they come out the pub and they're looking at the pub, they're looking at the river, they're looking at the sex shop and that look of recognition is coming on just like <laughs> Joey's face. It's like, what, what else would you put together in that no just go home go home get sober <laughs> it's just a matter if they brought the sex doll back into the pub after they got it out of their system just you have a date after you're done with the event look at that does the sex doll get a medal at the end of it as well <laughs> depends on what your definition of the medal will be i mean maybe it but it does end up perfect because you bring her in they have the open mouth they can have a pint with you i mean <laughs> it becomes a water balloon at that point i'm stretching this i'm stretching yeah, let's move on. I don't think I do want to do any Googling on that. People, <laughs> Listeners, do so at your own uh, peril, okay? Right, so, so do you remember when I said I'm going to match you? I, I, I seem to be matching yours for the energy. Um, my next one is called the Beer Mile. Have you heard of that? I have heard of the Beer Mile, yeah. Oh, you have heard of that. So I think I... I think that's what most people do anyway, but I didn't realise it was actually kind of labelled as a as a sporting or com- competitive event. So it's as it says, it's a mile or 1.6k drinking race combining running and speed drinking. The race usually takes place on a standard 400 metre running track. The race begins at the one mile starting line with the consumption of a 12 US fluid ounce or 355 ml beer, followed by a full lap around the track. The second lap continues in a similar manner. Another 12-ounce beer is consumed before commencing the running of the second lap. That's repeated for two more laps. And following the completion of the fourth running lap and four beers, a competitor has finished the race. The When I t- took this, the current world record holder is a Canadian who won his third world title in October of 21. So I'm, I'm not sure. I, I didn't have last year's event if it happened. He broke his own record of 4.33.6. That must be four. Is that four minutes? Yeah, four minutes. 33.6 must be. Which he set in San Francisco in 2017. So he's won it three times in a row. There are rules, not many, as you think, but I'm going to go on to it because there is a variation of this. So let me tell you what. Let me do the rules first. So as you'd expect, it's pretty simple. Four beers, four laps. I mean, you're doing part of it now. Are you in training? Because you've got your beer there. Training up. 
So, but just to make sure everyone is on the same playing field, here are the rules. Each competitor drinks four cans or bottles of beer and runs four laps. Beer must be consumed before the lap begins within the transition area. The race begins with the competitors lined up on the starting line, drinking the first beer in the zone as described above. This ensures competitors cover a complete mile. You can walk or move in the transition area while drinking, but all beer must be consumed in that before you set off to run. Women also drink four beers and run four laps. Um, some past rule lists only required the ladies to drink three beers, apparently. Competitors must drink canned or bottled beer that is no less than 355 ml. And no specialised cans or bottles may be used that can give an advantage by allowing the beer to pour faster. And beer cans must not be tampered with in any manner, e.g. no shotgunning, puncturing the can, squeezing the can, etc. And the same applies for bottles, you can't have any straws. And the beer must be a minimum of 5% alcohol by volume. Minimum, that is. I mean, why would you go for a higher one? And I'm just trying to see. Yeah, I, th I think that's pretty much it. When attempting a performance for official world records, it's recommended to provide video evidence of the race and prove that all the beer was drunk sufficiently. This can be achieved by tipping the empty beer container over your head after each chug. So there you go. Beer mile records have fallen repetitively over the past few years as the sport's emerged into the mainstream from its underground subculture. So this is the opposite. This was underground and now it's gone mainstream. In 2014, the five-minute barrier was broken for the first time. Now there are 12 men who have run a sub five and the world record stands at 428. Uh, we've not yet seen the first sub six by a woman with the current record being 616. So beer mile, talk to me. <clears throat> This, you're smiling. You're beaming here. I think I we found your this. event. So where 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 does this take place? By the way, I missed it. I think well, I think it's all over. But the it looks to be typically in America because the previous or, or the last world record was in 2017 in San Francisco. What tell you what? While you have a have a chat, I'm going to quickly look to see uh, if I can yeah. find it. Well, first of all. The rules as you list them, you can tell this was created by a true drinker, true beer drinker, not only that, but a pure respectable athlete that respects both sides of the story of just integrating drinking and track, just running. So, but it sounds so gross as I sit here and I always have a beer when I'm talking to you, I'm feeling disgusted even getting up from this chair, let alone just running. I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think there's going to be a lot of vomit buckets um, on this, but I don't know. I, this is one that just sounds, this sounds grosser than the slapping meat to me. Why is that? Is that the running afterwards? You just think yeah. everything's in regurgitating and. Yeah, there's so many things that can go wrong in this. And I'm sure there has been um, the drinking. You had me a drinking and then it's like when you go up to somebody that's just at the bar having a beer. You bring up anything athletic after drinking. It sounds horrible. Unless you're like 12 pints into it, and then you're like, yeah, let's do it. Why not? But if I'm just starting out drinking, it sounds gross. You got to put at least 12 more into me before I even consider doing something that ludicrous, in my opinion. I'm trying to say, I can't see where the, where the events were held, but I can see the beers that are drunk. Bud Light Platinum seems to be a popular one, along with... Uh, well, that, Bud General, yeah. Molson. So water. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're hydrating their athletes. I appreciate that. But do you not just think, though, again, that this just feels very similar to the one you mentioned where people are just thinking, 
they've, they've had a drink and then they're walking on the way home from the pub they're walking past a running track and i say i bet i could i could run faster than you and then that's how the genesis of this idea comes from a couple of drunk people yeah and i think they should change the rules a little bit saying okay so you have to drink you know what six to a six pack to a 12 pack whatever it may be and then just keep it simple run a mile after that and then once you're done drink again I think the rules, they're professionally verbalized, but I think it's a little bit more complicated than just drinking and running. So, so did you say you wouldn't do this then? This one's going to be a yes and no for me, because uh, if I just have a beer in the beginning of it, no. If they change the rules where I can just run when I'm drunk, I do that anyway, so <laughs> absolutely. But for the rules as they stand, I would probably say no. I'm sure I've seen this done with pizza. I'm sure I've seen this done with pizza and I'll definitely, well, I'd be like, I tell you what, I want to go as a duo so I could eat the pizza, you could do the running. I'd, I'd happily do that. You see, I now when you put it that way, you kind of put me in a corner because I just don't want to run. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but hold on. Well, no, I was going to say, hold on, because this gets even better, this event. Because have you heard of the Chundamile event? No, but that sounds even grosser. But tell me. And yeah, this is proud moment here because popularized in the United Kingdom. So way to go, UK. The Chunder Mile is similar to the beer mile, except competitors drink a full pint of beer before every lap instead of the beer mile standard of 12 ounce. So basically, it's a 20 ounce pint before each lap. Ooh. <laughs> There's no specification of the vessel, but pint glasses are preferred for the speed in which a beer can be chugged. Also unique from the beer mile is that chundering, vomiting, is allowed without penalty in a chunder mile. Competitors only run four laps regardless of whether they chunder or not. <laughs> there is a guy that knows the outcome of these races. This is a guy that creates the rules and regulations that just knows. But that sounds gross. But Dan, you have an idea here. I mean, it keeps taking it one step up. You just integrate beer and pizza into both of those. And you have your next championship. You might have to start underground. I get it. But you know what? That's not a hard. You just offer free beer and pizza. It'll get going. Ah, pizza, I'd be there. The, so the <laughs> beer mile, no. The pizza mile, I'd give it a go. I, it, it would just be, though, I, I just wouldn't be able to do the running. Uh, I mean, firstly, if you see me run, you'll know that. But secondly, no, I just can't do the running. The record here, though, on this one, so I'll say it was a proud moment as it was popularized in the UK, but it's actually held by an American. So the Chunder Mile world record is 4 minutes 53 by Chris Robertson of the USA. So it doesn't say here whether he chundered or not. I don't know. That's an important detail I think they should put in. I didn't want to look it up. I didn't want to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> I might find a video and put it on Twitter when this goes out. It's like, way to glorify the athlete here. Just, I want to know if he just vomited. I don't care if he won the award. I want to know what happened at the outcome. Can you imagine if it's next to you, where are they going to chunder? They could just chunder anywhere, right? Yeah. I, I don't want to think about that. Oh. <laughs> just cleaning up the field after a race like that. You know, if you're part of the city cleanup and you just hear this event's coming, you're just like, <laughs> yeah. shit, I'm calling out sick that day. Booking my leave that Literally. day, yeah, that week. <laughs> yeah. 
probably should have given a warning if you're eating your breakfast or anything, but I'm hoping the title of Chandamile gave it away. So I think you knew what you were letting yourself in for in the last <laughs> five minutes. Okay, so Chandamile, we both said no. So I think we're still at the same one, right? I think we're two. Oh, I've, I've lost count. Let's pretend we're, we're level on this. But we both said no, right? Yes. Let's have your next one. Oh, sorry, and I just want to say again, yeah, just point out that that was unusual that it was... The way they say an underground sport, but by that, I think they mean just people did that drunk on the way home past the running track. I don't think there was anything underground about this. It's not dangerous in the sense of, yeah, the, you're not going to get arrested for indecency and it's not bare slap. <laughs> well, I'm saying words, but not in the right order, but bare palm slapping another opponent. You know, I, I don't see the underground element of this. That last phrase, I really want you to say it again, because that sounded dirtier than anything we've uh, said so far in this episode. <laughs> oh, is that bare palm slap? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, let's, let's oh. hear your next one. Let's hear your next one. All right, I'm going PG with it. All right, something a little bit more mellow, Dan, so we can kind of calm you down here. So I picked extreme ironing. So this, nice, have you nice. heard of? <laughs> I've heard of it. I've heard of it, can imagine what it is, but I've never actually seen it or looked it up. This one has no fancy rules to it. It's pretty self-explanatory, but this one started in England in 1997 by Phil Shaw, where he came home from a knitwear factory. Shaw had a number of chores to do, including ironing, but he preferred the idea of rock climbing. How he put the two together, I don't know. Could you have a more British <laughs> opening to this, this, to this competition as well? There had to be alcohol involved in this one. He must have got done with the mile. Uh, so it's, and then it started to take off in 1999. So, and you can see it all over the web now where we see pictures and videos of ironing on mountaintops, bungee jumping, skydiving, and even on the sea floor of people with their ironing boards with their iron on the sea floor. I don't really get the point to that um, yeah. other than having a photo opportunity saying, look how crazy I am. Um, but this one is kind of just random weird and if you look at pictures you even see somebody strapped to the back of a taxi cab ironing in the middle of traffic <laughs> dad what are your thoughts on this one i think i think that's where the fun of it comes from isn't it is the the, the specific scenarios you can put yourself in for it. i guess that's where the appeal comes for this right so what would so if you were to take on extreme ironing what would be yours all right you got it I would do it on the top wing of a biplane. Holy crap. Yeah. Stra stra yeah, because you remember people used to do the old wing walking as such. Yeah. Do that. But yeah, strap me on the top of that plane. Yeah. Well, mine sounds ridiculous now. Like, <laughs> you would seriously go on top of a plane to do that. I think it's all about the, the prestige, right? So yeah, I'd have to. That's, I'd take it to that level. I can't even go on a third step of a ladder without shaking. There, <laughs> to me, that would be my extreme. But I think my extreme would just be ironing at in my house with two kids. <laughs> I mean, you put out some finger paints, some paints just right next to the ironing board. I mean, th that's extreme for me. I, you made mine look super boring, Dan. Thanks. Oh, sorry. I'll I'll um I'll change it in the pub, possibly <laughs> on the chund on the second lap of the chunder bar or in the ring. Of the chess oh. boxing. <laughs> oh. no, I, I, do you know what? I'd, I'd give this a go, but you know, my problem with this would be is if it was a like a proper competitive event, I take too long because I tend not to do the ironing that often. But when I do, I'm very meticulous and I probably take that 
two or three times longer on a shirt or a pair of trousers than anyone else would. So I think my downfall would be being too meticulous and still getting the creases wrong. You know, <laughs> just picture Dan saying, "I'm going to live life on the edge. I'm going to put this on medium high with a silk shirt. Watch me go." <laughs> <laughs> if there was a competition, would you enter this? I'm going to go with no, because this one just, I don't think it's, to me, it's just kind of ridiculous. This is an attention uh, sport. I don't even call it, why did they even call it a sport? It's, you know what? I can't picture hauling an iron that's not plugged into anything, an ironing board, and just looking ridiculous on some random mountaintop. If I'm on, if I ever climb a mountaintop, it's an achievement by myself to even climb rather than bringing an ironing board and an iron with me. So, I mean, most of the pictures you see are things that I normally wouldn't do either way. So I wouldn't bring an ironing board or an iron. I'd just be happy that I did it. <laughs> could you imagine? Yeah, I'd be the same. But could you imagine you said the guy who, who did it at the bottom of the ocean? Can you imagine on the shore, he's standing next to a guy with a surfboard. One guy's got a surfboard under his arm. He's got an ironing board. <laughs> dude, dude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's all about the prestige, which is kind of, I think I like this though, because of that, because it's saying, right, it's a simple event. It's a simple thing. Put yourself in the most bizarre situation you can. I kind of like that. Well, when you say prestige, this is where I would, this is the one out of all of them that I wouldn't say I would feel prestigious on. Because if you're walking from the ocean floor holding an iron and an ironing board, I'm not going to be hauling it up saying, yay, look what I did. I'm going to be, look what I found, guys. <laughs> I'm going to be hiding the fact that I did it just to say I did it. Here we go. Ironing boxing. There we go. Let's do Ooh, it. That can go Let's south really quick. <laughs> <laughs> do we use the irons? Only in the ironing. <laughs> Not you would probably kill bit. me on that yeah. that's another sport that i would fail miserably at i think oh, you would have me yeah. in both categories dan oh yeah ironing beer mile Ooh. you run a lap you drink the pint you then iron a shirt so the ironing is the last thing so after the fourth pint and you're ironing that full shirt after the fourth pint i think that has to be a partner event so dan we can partner up you can do the ironing and i will totally drink all the beer and then i don't know we can have somebody else do the running you're, you're a good friend justin you're a good friend <laughs> do you have any others uh the only other one that i didn't really deep dive into is that i find crazy and there's actually a reality tv show on is the jungle marathon have you heard of this it's trickling I, all I... over rainforests around the world no it's no, no. Where there's a marathon for those extreme hikers, those extreme runners, whatever it may be, that they put you in the rainforest, the Amazon, uh, in places that the environment will naturally kill normal people, that yeah, everything's yeah. out to kill you. And then they have to run a crazy amount of miles facing the elements with the very basic limited supplies that they have. This one, researching it, I find it interesting because this terrifies me. Because especially you look at a lot of those movies in the Amazon and stuff like that, that is one of my deepest fears is being dropped into the Amazon. And I would last probably about five minutes before everybody just gets alert in the uh, rainforest that I'm there and then I'll die within five, 10 minutes. No, I've not heard of that one. So, see, sorry, so you wouldn't do that one then? <laughs> Absolutely <do>. not. <laughs> I've got an honorary mention as well. Because um, I was going to say, I, you've matched me again the energy on this one because you brought it down a bit more relaxed with the ironing. But before I do, this one isn't the more relaxing. 
this this was a very short-lived one because apparently there is no more tournaments for this since 2012. And in 2013, it was this thing of the past. And you'll probably understand why when I say the name, because it's another one, it does what it says on the tin. Ultimate Taser Ball. So, <laughs> it basically was, you've got two teams of, of players competing to get a ball into goal at the other end of the field, 85-foot field. Players on both, both teams, all armed with a stun gun. And under the rules of the game, players were allowed to use the stun guns on opposing players who were in possession of the ball. That one had to be created out of uh, late night at the pub. It's brilliant. The devices used emit a current of three to five milliamps, sufficient to cause localized muscle spasm, but no permanent damage to any of the body's vital organs. Ultimate tasteful. I kind of like the idea of that, but absolutely hard no for me wanting to ever possibly do it. But the last event I actually want to talk about is the self-transcendence, I can't even say it, self-transcendence. 3,100 mile race. Have you heard of that? Yes, I have. We, we got a guest. We do. So the self transcendent I can't, that, that race, the name of that race, which I can't say, is a super ultra mega marathon that can only be described as a torturous, mind-numbing hamster wheel of a race. Basically, I mean, I'm going to cut it short. It's 3,100 mile race, but just around one New York City block. That's insane. So I've got, it's a, Basically, for the few dedicated runners that are willing to take on the challenge, here's what the life will consist of for the next seven weeks. Get up at 6 a.m., run for 18 hours on an unforgiving concrete surface while trying to fit in a couple of bland pre-made meals, sleep for a few hours, get up and repeat the entire cycle for 51 more days. If you do the math, it basically works out to running two full marathons every day for almost two months. Unless the runners are willing to forego their six-hour rest period, it means no TV, no video games, no socialising with friends, just relentless running around the same block day in, day out. Unbelievable, isn't it? So it's basically 5,649 laps of this block in Jamaica, Queens. Like, it's not so much of leaving the luxuries for seven weeks. It's just the fact that, like, I hate to put it this way because it should be about the prestige that you actually did it, but is there any, like award to prove that you did it or like a certificate because i feel like if i just did it i would know and cool good for me but that's something i would want to brag about i think they do i think they uh, they do get something but i think they also do publish pictures throughout the event on, um, a, on a website damn so no cheating yeah 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 <laughs> This is the interesting thing. So to put it another way, the distance is from the west to east coast of America plus 11 marathons. I mean, I hear some of you when you talk about just driving across a couple of states, how long that <laughs> takes, let alone running it, and then 11 marathons. For safety, runners only with proven ultra running experience may complete. The race is run daily, changing direction uh, each day, whatever the weather, which has ranged from 100 degree Fahrenheit to torrential downpour and sometimes they carry umbrellas i don't know why <laughs> competitors run among people going about their everyday lives dodging pedestrians and cyclists in large crowds vegetarian meals are provided by volunteers from an improvised kitchen runners need to eat constantly burning ten thousand calories a day and you've got six hours a day for eating washing foot care and sleep and yeah the race can be followed on the race website and a webcam has been operating during recent years, so they publish photos direct to it. Now, the record is held by someone I'm not going to 
attempt to pronounce the name, but finished with a time of 40 days and nine hours and six minutes in 2015. And he's also won it nine times out of the 15 times he's done it. And the ladies record is held by someone who completed the 3,100 miles in 48 days. I mean, no, for me. I don't think it needs to be said. Yeah, and it's no for me too. And this one would be easy. Right when you said they require experienced runners, I'd be showing up with a beer in hand, so I'd be turned away immediately. Yeah, it's it's a couple of things. If I start the more realistic one, I, I said earlier I wouldn't run the beer mile, so let alone 3,100 miles. And two, even if I was tempted to, the fact you're running around the same block. Mentally, that must day. be hard too because usually when you're doing hiking marathon or whatnot if it's long like that you would need a change of scenery to keep your mental state so you're seeing something new seeing the same thing over and over again eating the bland meals that's it seems more like a mental test more than a physical test it is and i think that's why the where the title comes from the self-transcendence <laughs> don't make me say it again justin <laughs> I think that's where the title comes from. He wished to create an opportunity for runners to discover the limits of their capabilities and try to go beyond the name, uh, try to go beyond themselves. Sorry. Oh, yeah. I'm oh, sorry. I did find it. The prize. Do, do you want to know what the prize is? Oh, God. Is it? Is it a Capri well, Sun juice box? <laughs> well, no, it's even worse. It's typically a T-shirt, a DVD or a small trophy. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, a DVD? What DVD are they giving out? I think it'd be anything by that point because you haven't seen the TV for 48 days, 49 days. <laughs> like seven weeks into it, enjoy a copy of Marley and Me. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, and I'm saying this genuinely, fair play to the ones who do it and actually do it. I Absolutely. mean, that's that's amazing. I mean, could you imagine? I don't, I get bored walking around the same. If I just go out for a walk at lunchtime, right? I used to, when I moved to my new house, it was to get used to the estate, I would walk around. That becomes tedious after a while, walking around the same block, because you're just doing the same path, but let alone doing 52 miles of it a day. Yeah, I'm with I'm with you. Like, I think we've had conversations before where I just get super bored. It's hard for me to sit, but it's hard for me to see the same things over and over again. So if I'm walking around or if I'm going to the park with my kids, it's I can't be there for like two, three hours. I need to do something. And if I'm seeing the same thing over and over again, walking the same distance, the same uh, stride each day, that would drive me nuts. So I would give huge props to those that can achieve it. And we talk about the award. Um, and again, those are the people that know they're not in it for the award, but to challenge themselves. And I guess it, they do it for almost self-healing and self-pride uh, versus anything else. So my hat's off to those that even just purely attempt it. You know, so... I wonder what the residents of that block must think. And they just seem <laughs> what the hell did we get ourselves right? into? <laughs> yeah. yeah, can you imagine if you're selling a flat or moving out of a flat, you, you kind of want to make sure you don't pick that month, right? <laughs> it's like the real estate agents coming in, just getting in, getting showing the house at the exact right time where nobody's walking by. You move in, you're like, shit. <laughs> Do you think they get to know the people? Oh, you're right, Steve. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> All right, Justin. Lap 489, is it today? Yeah. <laughs> well, that might actually, for people that move in, they might like to have company on walks. I mean, that might actually help with the mental state. I don't know if there's any rules that you can't join the neighborhood in a gentle 5, 10, 15 minute walk. I, I wouldn't, but. I think that's come to the end of that. 
I think we've covered some pretty unique events today, don't you? I think the overlaying theme here is a lot of these competitions uh, really lay into um, kind of what you talked about, the uh, mental state, the physical ability to just, even though they may seem silly, um, there's a rhyme and reason for the way people do what they do. And I think mine was the, the uh, uh, blow up doll river rafting was the only one that has no real rhyme or reason to it. But <laughs> I think there's a lot to be respected to an extent on a lot of the uh, crazy competitions out there. And it's just goes to shows you can create a competition for anything. Yeah. And I think people want to be able, like, like we just said, I'm not going to run a marathon, but potentially <laughs> could I enter the beer mile? Yeah, I'd give it a go. And I'd end up on a, on a record board there. I might not be at the top end of it, but <laughs> it, it would be an event I could get some recognition for. So it's almost like there is something for everyone out there. And there literally is because everyone can iron, right? Oh yeah. Absolutely. We might not be good at it, but we can all iron. So all you've now got to do is take it to that next level and say, right, where are you going to put that ironing board? <laughs> <laughs> I think a future show, we just create the weirdest competitions, just one up these, because you know you can go a lot crazier with these things. Okay, well, you know what you're coming back for then. So well, well done. You've, you, you've helped me out. Let's go <laughs> on the board. Right. Um, before we go, Justin... Yeah, do you want to let us know what you're up to? Is there anything going on or, or just shout out your, your socials? Yeah, I mean, we're done with the Oscars. You can check out uh, uh, my guest spots on Talking Smack, where we recover a lot of the Oscars stuff. I'm busy this year I'm judging the uh, Snohomish Film Festival that's coming up here soon that you can actually submit anywhere you live into the film festival um, by going to filmfreeway.com backslash Snohomish Film Festival. And right now, I think we have about 110 movies for me to watch. So it's been a, quite a busy season. But you can also catch me wherever you listen to podcasts and my socials, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Letterbox at Movie Wire Show. Yeah, definitely check him out. Subscribe if you're not already. I, honestly, I love your show. And the thing about Justin, and I've said it when we played your trailer a couple of times, is there's almost no in-between with you. You're, you're either absolutely love a, a film or you can be quite angry about a film and and i love either either side of you you know that that the, the really happy and the angry show yes whether it's going to be salty or happy justin that's the decision you're waiting for or the outcome you're waiting for when you when i start each of your episodes appreciate that and you know you got to have fun with it it's usually i'll get to writing and it's just I'll go on one thing that just made me sour about the movie, and then I just crescendo. But you know what? It's just my opinion. Everybody's going to have different opinions on movies. So, but that's just my opinion. Don't take it too seriously. There's people that like Morbius. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the thing is, at least you're watching those films because a lot of people will only speak about the films they either love or won't even watch a film that they don't. So, no, fair play to you. So, yep, check out the movie wire. As for this show, Casting Views. Drop me an email at castingviewspod at gmail.com if you want to talk about the episode you've just heard, you want to come on, you've got a suggestion, or just to say hello. Contact me on Casting Views on Twitter. And if you like what you heard, and with Justin, why wouldn't you have today? Drop us a five-star rating on, on the platform of your choice if you can. And yeah, I know there's a lot of podcasts from which you can choose, so I thank you for listening to Casting Views. If I want your opinion, I will give it to you. Come on, take what we've got, cause you need it, don't make us get